the Ghost Goal Podcast. Arsenal increased their lead at the top of the Premier League to seven points, as Manchester City could only manage a 1-1 draw at home against Frank Lampard's Everton, while Arsenal stormed to a 4-2 win away at Brighton. There were other teams near the top of the table that also dropped points. Tottenham lost 2-0 at home to Aston Villa, and Liverpool followed up their somewhat fortunate home win on Friday against Leicester with a 3-1 thrashing when they lost at Brentford earlier today. I'm Alex, here with Javier. We've got all those games, plus more to recap, and uh, plenty of good ones to look forward to in the midweek this week. This is episode 390 of the Ghost Gold Pod. We're 10 away from 400, Javier. First of all, how are you doing? Doing well. Happy New Year's, everybody. Hope you guys had a safe and happy New Year's and uh, enjoyed the footy on New Year's Day. That was awesome to have, you know, footy the day before New Year's, the day of New Year's, the day after. We just have it this whole week. I I, I love having the Premier League back, games every day. And Arsenal won. Wait, can I sing We Are Top of the League yet, Alex? Or it's too early, isn't it? I can't. I can't do it yet. You can do, you can do whatever you want, Javier. I mean, I need a speed. We're, we're, we're gonna... A couple more wins and then I'll... I'm going to start singing. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, either when we went into the World Cup break or when we were just coming out of it, you were saying, I need to see Arsenal play against, you know, Brighton, Newcastle, Manchester City before I can start, you know, dreaming about the league. So I'll hold you to I'm that. I'm not dreaming yet. Newcastle. I'm not dreaming yet. I'm, uh, I'm wary of this Newcastle game next and taking, just taking it a game at a time, you know? You also forgot to mention Newcastle drop points, which uh, they had a nil-nil draw with Leeds at home. So yeah, pretty much every team near the top of the table, other than Arsenal, drop points, which is uh, pretty nice. Pretty nice team pretty for Arsenal and for uh, Manchester I guess United and Manchester Arsenal United. Fans. Yeah, I was gonna say good weekend for Manchester United fans too, because all of their rivals drop points, um, and they looked they looked pretty good in their win. All right, well, uh, let's start with this uh, Brentford Liverpool game a little bit earlier today. Uh, that was like the first game of this week's midweek games. So it's technically not part of the same game week as the rest of the ones we're going to recap, but it's still like a, a shocking result regardless. Brentford went up 2-0 uh, at home um, by halftime uh, before uh, Liverpool got one goal back and then uh, Brentford finished it off a, a little bit later on uh, through Embuemo, uh, I believe. And, and this was all without Ivan Tony. Uh, and they were still able to manage a similar level of performance that I think they pulled off earlier this season. You're like my Brian and Buemo, Alex. United. I was uh, praising him in the last uh, the last pod, and he came out in this one, played well. Him and Wisa up top. Well, yeah, we, I was going to say Johan Wisa, the the replacement for Ivan Tony. He's he he could have had a hat trick. He had two goals uh, chalked off from VAR before scoring. The eventual like second goal, like a little bit after those those first two had been shocked off. So, yeah, he's he's come out flying. I, I, have you seen any news about Tony? Do we know how long he's out for? Apparently, it's not very long. He was supposedly in contention for this game, but he didn't even make the bench. So, I'm guessing it's going to be another. I'm guessing he might be back after the FA Cup break. Um, but it kind of seems like the the whole betting allegation things. He might not be you know punished for that until after this season. So kind of looks like he might still get to play the rest of this season out okay so he still has till january 4th to respond to the allegation so we don't have a final uh notification yet of like what his 
potential suspension could be. Apparently, um, storage when he was like charged, it took over a year for his punishment to come out. So I don't know if this is going to be the same thing. It seems like this is a lot more charges and there's a lot more evidence supposedly, but yeah, it might just be another year before we actually see Tony getting any type of ban or punishment. Um, but yeah, Brent Frentford didn't miss a step. And I mean, what did you think of this Liverpool side? They didn't have Gakpo still. Um, he didn't, he didn't make it onto the, to the bench in this game, but you know, they had their front three of Darwin Nunez, Oxlade Chamberlain and Salah again. Uh, I think they started Harvey Elliott in midfield this time and he was not great. I just, yeah, it was another flat performance from their their midfield, I thought. And you saw some moments of like that inexperience from Elliot, like letting runners just, you know, pass him as Brentford initiated counterattacks. It, it looked like one of those performances, those really bad performances we saw so often from Liverpool in the first half of the season. It seemingly felt like they had put that behind them, coming back with like an overall positive start after the World Cup break. But uh, yeah, it reared its ugly head again. I think it's just the, 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 just all those fixtures coming like so thick and fast that you know they had to bring in like Costa Simicas at left back today. Uh, Konate came back for his first game, looked a little rusty and was was you know kind of uh, not as sharp as we're used to seeing him for a few of those uh, the, those you know crosses in to the box from Brentford. Um, so. It's definitely something Liverpool should be worried about because, uh, I mean, Brentford away is not an easy fixture, but they laid down and just got ran through in the in the first half. Especially. I was about to say, for the standard of play that Liverpool have set in the last four or five years, you know, competing with this Manchester City team, getting 80 to 90, you know, almost 100 points every season for the last four or five seasons. This just feels like a huge drop off for them. Um, and I'm not sure if they just need the Champions League to come back because they were doing pretty okay in that, and maybe that'll bring some confidence back to the players if they can, you know, do well in the the knockout rounds. But that's still a couple of months or a month or two away, so I don't know how like, you know, maybe FA Cup can try to get them. I, Liverpool needs something; they need a big boost. And if it felt like earlier in the season when they had that nine nil thrashing, like they didn't start the season too well, they, we thought that was going to be like the all right, Liverpool are here, but they never right. really like took on right. that mantle after that game and if, it, it if seems anything like, like every time but that work, every time they're getting back on track yeah. they're, they're they all of a sudden have a terrible performance that leads to like an awful result like losing it i can't Nottingham quite put Forest my finger on losing it. Like, it what's going on i know a lot of its injuries you know losing diaz you gotta feel it, it like it could still be gakpo gakpo it, could still be the one who comes in say, losing sadio mane it still that. hasn't felt like they've replaced him um or you know the replacement's been out you know injured for the rest of the season so Bringing in someone like Gakpo, we'll see how the team looks with him. Um, I'm guessing he'll he'll make the team soon. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's fit. I don't. I haven't heard of anything yeah. being injured, but I think um, I think it's just being being brought into the squad. I'm sure. And you'll then see like him probably it feels the like FA their FA back line rarely they haven't had Trent Robertson, Matip, and uh, Van Dyke. I think they had that last game and they looked pretty good when they had that full back line. Again, like you said, they had to make changes. Konate came in, Semikas came in. It's just like. If they get their full back line and their full midfield, they look pretty good still. But one or two players out of their starting eleven, and just the level drop off is is pretty big right now, and it's got to be worrying for Liverpool fans. Darwin Nunez again. Nunez, I think he had a he had a he had a goal chalked off for offside VAR again. He had like yeah. two or three chances. He put straight at the keeper. He missed. I mean, 
at some point you gotta you gotta like you, you praise him for getting in good positions, but you gotta criticize him for for keep missing these chances, right? Like I, I was about to say, and it, it's not just Darwin anymore. He like through the last the last three Premier League games since we, we came back from the World Cup, he's had so many chances in the Villa, Leicester, and uh, and this Brentford game, and like the Leicester game, he had like I think it was the go ahead goal where he was played in behind. Tried to dink it to the back post. It came off the post, hit off uh, Voutface, the uh, Leicester center back, and he put it into the net. And Nunes went off and ran away and celebrated like he'd scored the goal. Like, like I know he, like he, I'm sure he knows that's not the case. But from a player who's been missing so many like clear chances that like he has, the fact that he's celebrating a goal like that just shows you like how like far down in the mud his confidence is. And frankly, that's kind of like extending itself to Salah as well. I've seen we've seen Salah miss some really good chances these last couple of games. They only really need one of those two players to pick up their form and start putting the ball in the back of the net. As long as Gakpo comes in and starts well, like you uh, have kind of preempted. Um, so it's not full on alert time yet for Liverpool. Like you said, there's still plenty of other teams in the top four chase that have dropped points as well. Like, so I could see Salah or uh, Gakpo coming into this team and just like taking over. Like the ball's going to go to Gakpo a lot. They're going to realize he can carry the yeah. ball up the field. I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I've been hyping Gakpo a lot, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how he does there. I think we should hold off, you know, until we see a few games of him in the side. If they still don't look good or look flat with him, then yeah, massive worry and you know, might need a clean out in the summer type thing. I'm sure Klopp's the man to do it, but uh, still just, you know, worrying signs for Liverpool. I mean, we're if you think about it, we were talking about them at last season. Like, you know, is it panic time for Liverpool? Like, you know, are they not going to make top four? They ended up making top four, but it was like, it wasn't comfortable for them in the end. And it wasn't... No, that you mean two seasons ago when Van Dijk was injured? Was that it? Because okay. last last season they were second by you know they, they, oh, were, up, oh, they up were challenging for okay, the title. Okay, okay. The season before that they had Maybe Van Dyke was, injured yeah, and they we came were, back we in the last se- okay five games. Oh, no, I guess it was just in. earlier this season we were talking about should we hit the panic button yet or not. Um, I'm I'm starting to think that you know they have January to figure this out, but February comes around and they're still like mid table. Yeah, that's that's going to be uh, scary times for Liverpool fans. Yeah, another one of those games near the top of the table uh, where a strong favorite ended up dropping points was uh, this Manchester City home game that happened on uh, Saturday. Uh, they got out to a 1-0 lead through, uh, guess who, Erling Brett Holland in the 24th minute. And then uh, completely against the run of play, uh, Damari Gray got played in behind in the 64th minute and curled in a beautiful shot from the left-hand side of the box uh, to... Tied up 1-1, and that's how the game finished. So City dropped two more points in a weekend where Arsenal, as I'm sure we'll get to, uh, picked up all three. Are, are we leaning towards the panic button for them at all? I guess this kind of ties into our Arsenal discussion, but uh, this, this has happened again to Manchester City. They have all the possession. They go ahead, but you know they, they end up not taking... The other chances they, they create kind of and flat in the second half. Like I know they had like yeah. a good, they had a run of like ten minutes at the end of the game where they were just barraging Everton, but Everton could have come and gotten the winner. I mean, there was a few times that they went down the field. I I don't understand for Manchester City how they're so open on counterattacks and at the back with how much of a defensive manager Pep Guardiola claims to be and how he's always about defense first and possession and so few chances for the opposing team. You know, I'm I'm also confused with why he keeps playing Foden. He keeps starting Cole Palmer, or um, he started you mean at not right back. Foden? 
Yeah, not like, playing he, Foden. He started uh, Lewis. He keeps playing Lewis instead of Walker or Cancelo. He's been, but Cancelo's just been on the bench since he's, he's since the season started. These are players who were like the best players last year. Uh, players like Foden and Cancelo were were t- top three players for City last year, and they've just been rotting on the bench for not just since before the World Cup too. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know what what he's doing. I, I know that Guardiola is very confident in his players and thinks that whatever team he puts out, it's going to be the best, but. I mean, I want him to keep doing this, obviously. I mean, it's great for Arsenal if they keep dropping points to teams like Everton at home. Uh, you're not going to win the title. I mean, we have dropped no points at home this season. They've drawn four or five games now, three or four games at home. I mean, it's it's your home form is, is generally what wins you the title. If you can win every single game at home and draw your big games away and get mostly away wins, you're going to win the title. So right now, we're the ones doing that, and they're not. And... Uh, I don't think it's panic for City. I mean, they've got such a deep squad. They've got players coming right. back from from injury. I, I was going to say, I, I think the time to panic for them would be if they don't win on Thursday. Because Thursday, they're going to be coming to Stamford Bridge to play Chelsea. We're in no, no kind of good shape at the moment. Uh, injuries all over the place. There's not many areas of the field where we can really hang with them. If they draw points in that, then I would definitely be worried if I was a City fan about specifically them winning the title. And, and keep in mind, they still have two games against Arsenal, so seven points. Like I'm not saying it would be easy for them to win both games, but that's still in their hands that they could win both those Arsenal games and get it back to one point. So uh, if they had already played one game against you guys and, and lost that game or drawn it or something, I think that would be one thing. But again, they've still got so much of... They've got as I think it's like twenty two games left in the season, so like more than half the season. So not quite panic time yet for them. Um, they just they need to be a little bit more lethal and prolific with their chances. Holland is obviously Everton, getting the job done. Yeah, but they need other players to step. Everton up. have been really good defensively for the last I want to say seven or eight games or so. Um, they just need to start finding a way of scoring goals. Calvert Lewin was a ghost in this game. Tamari Gray was, you know, he's got the goal. He was really great for them. But, you know, Iwobi was good again. Um, Onana was pretty good in midfield. Their defenders were were all, you know, awesome. Coleman, uh, Seamus Coleman came on and had a big contribution defensively, um, you know, the last 20, 25 minutes. I think with Everton, it, it, they're slowly turning the corner. Um, and I don't, I don't think they're going to be in relegation trouble this season. It feels like the, 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 the they're still hanging around. Play is good. They're still hanging around, but not ready to nominate them not safe yet. But it, it feels like they're slowly get, they're getting the back line right. And then they're, they just got to start finding a way of scoring goals. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say when I saw the lineup for this game, I, I did think to myself specifically for when Everton play against like the big teams, this lineup might be their best one. Pickford, obviously, in goal, a back three, uh, the three center backs of Tarkovsky, uh, Ben Godfrey, and Connor Cody, right wing back Nathan Patterson, and left wing back Vitaly Mikolenko. Uh, then just in midfield, they, they, for this game specifically, they kind of abandoned the tactic of having a Wobi play as like a box-to-box midfielder played him out right and uh, Damari Gray on the left wing and then uh, in midfield just went with Idrissi Gay and Amadou Anana uh, with uh, Calvert-Lewin up top now like you said Calvert-Lewin wasn't amazing but they're clearly a better team when he's in the game even if he's not scoring goals he takes his attention away from other players and allows space like the one that opened up for Damari Gray on his goal allow that to happen and when he's got time and space specifically out on that sort of like left half space to curl it in from there that's like the most lethal like finish Jamari Gray has in his locker so 
yeah, it worked out for them in this one. And I think they got a, didn't they get a draw with Liverpool earlier this season as well? So that's like two of the, some of the best teams in the league that they've been able to hold to draws in, you know, games you usually think they'd be uh, uh, odds on to, to lose those. So signs enough signs of life from Everton and uh, Manchester City, I think, Got to give them a little bit uh, more time before you really start to panicking about their title chances. The theme of the day is, uh, you know, top sides dropping points. So uh, let's go to another one from uh, this time Sunday. Tottenham lost 2-0 at home to Aston Villa. Uh, Emi Buendia scored It finally in the caught minute. up to them, Alex. It finally yeah, and Douglas fucking Louise caught up in the 73rd. to them. It's about time. That's seven games in a row that uh, in Premier League matches that Tottenham have conceded the first goal. That is absolutely an insane stat. I know that they've been haven't been losing games. They've been coming back, getting wins, getting draws in a lot of those games. But you know, you got you got to think that this this is the time. I mean, Villa were kind of dominant the whole time. I don't. Tottenham were so flat. They were at home the first thirty minutes of the game. Tottenham, the the pace was just lethargic. You know, they were passing the ball between their center backs to their wing backs. You know, Ivan Perisic was kind of the only player that seemingly was making runs uh, to try to create something. You know, uh, I don't... Did Kulishevsky play this game? I think he missed out. No, right? he ended up he ended up being injured, so they had Brian Hill. Yeah, the, that uh, was, again, just Spanish like, winger. without Kulishevsky, this team just doesn't play... Like, it just... It doesn't create nearly as many clear-cut yeah. chances. They still create some chances, but they're just not really good ones, like what Kulishevsky can set up. Like, I think there was one clear-cut chance in the first half when Perisic ran in behind and played a ball back across the box for Kane to head, and Ashley Young ended up heading it off the line. Second half, I think Tottenham had maybe like two more like good chances, but you got to think it would be a different game with uh, Kulusevski uh, healthy. I don't think it's a long-term injury, so he should be back pretty soon. But, I mean, it just makes it even more apparent how much... Tottenham miss a player like Kulusevski when he's not there. Even with Kane and Son still there. You'd think Son, it would be his time to step up. We've mentioned he's struggling this season. And a part of that may be because, you know, the ball is maybe being played wide to a player like Kulusevski a bit more often. But Kulusevski wasn't there this time. There's no, you know, other player to sort of like take the, uh, take the ball away from him, from Son specifically. And I mean, all I really saw was just Tim making mistakes out there, like not really providing that that lethal and direct threat that we're so used to from him. So maybe it's a little bit of World Cup fatigue. Who knows? But they, they need to fix something. And Conte was complaining after the game about them not having enough creative players, which is hilarious to hear from Antonio Conte because the guy, usually he like resents creative players and like... Uh, the, the players that maybe don't work as hard defensively, but are on the field to, you know, give you that moment of quality to play a defense splitting pass. He gave Cesc Fabregas hell at Chelsea when uh, he first came to Chelsea uh, for, for not being able to do the defensive work. Um, he's had his complaints with Christian Eriksen when he signed him at Inter. Uh, and, you know, both those players, you, you wouldn't deny you wouldn't deny them their like ability creatively on the ball. I mean, they had and two now shots on he doesn't have any of those players. Six shots at and home he's complaining Tottenham. about it's it. Just, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. Yeah. Um, Tottenham had no excuse other than not having Kulishevsky. I mean, they had their full team. Um, I guess they haven't gotten Betancourt back. Uh, I don't know if he's been injured, um, but he hasn't been on the bench and he hasn't been playing for them. They've had Basuma, who hasn't been great for them in midfield. So I, I get that if they, they could go up, if they get 
Betancourt and they get Kulishevsky back in this team. But we should praise Villa because um, ever since Unai Emery came into the team, I mean, they've gotten some pretty big results, um, you know, beating Chelsea 1-0, getting a draw with Brighton. When did they beat us? Uh, December 11th, before the break. No, we beat them. We beat them 2-0. Oh, no, wait, was that before, was a friendly. That was Never mind. I'm sorry. I don't know why they were. That was when Gerard was in charge Oh, still. yeah, you're right. You're right. You guys beat them. Um, well, I mean, it, it just feels like with Aston Villa, they don't, you know, they're not nearly as bad at the back. It seems like they're creating more chances. Um, it seems like they're more well-organized under Emery. And, you know, I, I'm liking the Buendia, Luis, Kamara in midfield. Um, I know McGinn played this game, but McGinn's even looked a little bit better in the team. Uh, and... Defensively, I, I I don't know how he's gotten it, but I mean, uh, the, they were playing Robin Olsen this game. They didn't even have Emmy Martinez. He was on the bench and again, still looked pretty decent. Olsen did play so much better than he did last game. He had two horrible errors in the last game. It seems like he, you know, he was the, uh, interesting that Unai kept with him in this game, even with Martinez on the bench and it worked out for them. You know, I, uh, Leon Bailey looked pretty good up top with Ollie Watkins. I just, I think this team's starting to, to kind of get to the place where Gerard, we thought Gerard was going to get them, and Unai's starting to get them to that place. They're not European competition level yet, but they're kind of a mid-table, 10th, 9th, which is, you know, where you think that they would be, they should have been under Gerard, but they weren't. So it feels like Unai's starting to get them to at least that level of like an upper mid-table team. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to shoot their kneecaps out after like a good result like this, but the Liverpool game before that, it, it it they lost that one three one. They played very well for a, lots of uh, periods of that game, but we we have seen that under Steven Gerrard and uh, oh god, what's his name? Dean. Oh, what was the manager before that who went to Norwich afterwards? Why am I blanking on his name? Dean Smith. Dean Smith. That's it. Both of them were able to get Villa to play really well, create a bunch of chances in games. But they, they, and this is a problem with lots of Premier League teams up and down the table, they have really struggled with just consistently scoring like one or two goals a game. They'll have games where they dominate, create all these chances and miss them. They'll outplay their, their opponents in terms of like expected goals frequently and still end up losing and losing big. So one game against a Tottenham team that went behind because Hugo Lloris couldn't handle a basic Douglas Luiz shot for the first goal... I'm not going to take that to mean that like Unai Emery solved this. The same thing could, the same problems could arise the the, the very next. Yeah, week, I think so. it's, it was more in this game that Tottenham were just awful and lethargic and not moving the ball quick enough and didn't have enough urgency as opposed to Villa being really good. But I still think you know they they're not going to be in any type of relegation trouble, which it kind of was looking that they might have been under Gerrard. So at least there's an improvement, a visible improvement there for Villa fans and something that they can build on. Uh, results like this, beating a top six side, you know, possible top four team uh, away from home, is it's a big result for them. So I think they'll gain a lot of confidence, and I can see them making a little run after this. All right, well, let's get away from the disappointing teams in the top half of the table. Let's. Uh, well, we haven't talked about Chelsea yet, Alex. No, no, no. We'll, oh, we'll come you're, back. Right. To you're, are you in the bottom I'm, half of the I'm, table, or I'm trying to. Like I'm trying you guys, to. You guys might be in eleventh or twelfth. So yeah, you're I, right. We'll, I'm we'll trying get to through. brighten the mood here, Javier. For you specifically, I'm doing a nice thing for you. Arsenal beat Brighton two four two. Do we do we need uh, to talk about Saturday. this game? It was kind of business as usual, Alex. Well, yeah, we need to talk about it because I, I want to ask you. That was a joke, but not really. Well, I want to ask you, Javier. Should you now be expecting to win the league title? I mean, the way we're playing right now. Everyone says it's ours to lose. I mean, you're seven points clear in January. 
We still have the games with City. It's it's completely in our hands. There's no like if we lose the, the league title from this point, having January to sign players, it looks like we're trying to make sign big players in January to reinforce this title charge. So as long as we si- make a couple of big signings, then I see no reason why not. And Ketia scored again, which Alex. I mean, not only in Ketia, but the second straight also, game Also, again, Saka, Martinelli, front three Odegaard. Scored. Yeah. <laughs> and Odegaard was unbelievable again. Three games back from the break. Three man of the matches for Martin Odegaard. Is he the best player in the Premier League right now? No, Holland has oh, to be. The two Norwegian gods tearing up the Premier League. No, I think I think it's I think it's Odegaard. I think Odegaard is much more influence in games than Holland. Holland will just that's, Holland just that's Holland, Holland will just be ghosting around like of course most of Premier course, League teams. <laughs> of course. But I'm saying, you know, the all of City's attack, they're still seven points behind though. You have to say all of City's attack are based on Erling Holland. He's getting fault. all of the goals. Holland's doing his job. It's not it's no, it's absolutely not Holland's fault. But I think in terms of just like overall influence on games, Odegaard is is up there. I mean, he's he's Kevin De Bruyne last season and the last few seasons. You know, he's just playing unbelievable through balls, tackling in midfield, creating that chances, ball he scoring to goals. Oh my god, that the was ball just he to Martinelli that was for, an was unbelievable ball. Yeah, that was first that, time like he must he must have yard through ball. Yeah, he must have looked before and just seen Martinelli's run early, but. Like, Xhaka had the ball inside his own half on the left side. Uh, Odegaard comes sprinting over uh, from the right, and Xhaka, like, squares it basically to him. And it looked like when you watch the replay of it, like, the, most of the replays don't start early enough. But it looked like Odegaard just, like, zipped that ball first time with his left foot and played it, like, on the ground in behind to Martinelli to run to without looking. Now, obviously, he must have looked... like. But maybe it's just instinct. He just knows that Martinelli's going to make that run tirelessly. Also, like I would have murdered Martinelli if he didn't score that. Because there was just an easy tap into Saka, and he fucking decides to p- toe-poke it into goal. You know, ugh, that was horrifying. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that there's also lessons to be learned from this game. Um, you know, Orteta said as soon as the he got into the dressing room, all the players were upset. You know, they thought that they gave Brighton away back into the game. Um, you know, even that that goal that was chalked off for a very marginal offside in like the 88th minute to make it 4-3, uh, it was it was a little bit nervy. I mean, there was we were up 3-0 and then we were up 4-1 when Brighton scored. So it's good that we were able to, you know, get up three goals and stay up three goals for most of the game. Um, but this was a Brighton side that was very weakened, didn't have a lot of their first team players. Um, but they were still very good. They still, I think this was the first team this season that outpossessed Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they had 68% possession. That's kind of crazy. Uh, for the most part this season, we've been able to control. I, I mean, I don't know if that was just a product of us being able, you know, going up three goals early and then just kind of defending our lead a little bit. It was a little bit worrying that they were able to to have that much of control in the game. I, Thomas was yellow carded early. Saliba had another nightmare of a game. Um, he was pretty much at fault for both of the goals. Just let, uh, I think it was Matoma, just stroll into the box uh, for his goal. And then, you know, for... Ah, it's time for me to, to pipe up, Javier. Young Irish center forward, ah, Evan, yes. Ferguson Evan Ferguson, scored he was his pretty first good. goal in the Premier League. But again, League. like, it just, it felt like, I think Saliba was, was the man on him and just let him get that goal. And, and I think he let him get a couple other chances too. This was the worst game I've, I've seen Saliba. And Saliba, that's now back-to-back. He's been very rusty since the he's come back from the World Cup. But thankfully, we still had, 
you know, this was, Zinchenko started this game instead of Tierney. He was able to do his thing with Xhaka and Thomas to create chances down that left wing constantly, and it gave Saka room to work on his side, and Odegaard just had all the room in midfield. It, it's awesome to be able to see that even without the ball, we don't have the ball near as much. We only had 32%. Still able to score four goals against one of the best sides at home in the league. Brighton are going to take points from all the top sides this season at home, um, as they've Beat already been doing. Now. Yeah, as already they've been doing. So the fact that we scored four goals against them, you know, still were able to look good. Didn't really have a great game defensively, but all of our attackers scored. Yeah, just can't be happier with the team. Um, on to Newcastle. I mean, I'm... I'm. Yeah, I was going to say, let's take this into like our... I mean, we don't really do too many previews anymore, but there are a couple games that jump out this midweek uh, tomorrow. So likely most people when listening to this will, will probably will have already happened. You guys are going to host uh, Newcastle uh, Tuesday at 2.45 p.m. You've got to be confident. Now, I know Newcastle uh, haven't been beaten in what feels like months. I don't think they've lost since the Liverpool away game in like the third or fourth week of the season. And this is specifically in the Premier League. They're a very good defensive side, but you guys are at home at the Emirates. You've Even when you've gone behind, it's, you've seemed pretty much inevitable when it comes to scoring goals. Is it a must-win game, or do you think if there's a draw of some kind? No, it's an know, absolutely must-win game. Uh, we haven't dropped any points at home whatsoever this season. Haven't really come close. I want to say the Leeds away game was probably our worst game so far this season. I thought we played better, much better in the Manchester United game that we lost um, than in that Leeds game that we won. I think that's the one game we've been completely outplayed. Uh, this Brighton game, there were definitely points in the game where we were outplayed, especially in that second half. Uh, and, and I do need to say one thing uh ben white had come off when it was three nil uh and that's when you know matoma got his goal made it three one and then we we scored i think five or six minutes after that and then after we scored the four one he brought off zinchenko brought on tierney he took off thomas and he put on el nenny and the drop off was massive massive right we were playing el nenny tierney tomiyasu also did not have a good game um but I think that was a big reason why Brighton looked so good for those last 20, 25 minutes. So I'm not going to put a ton of... I think he wanted to rest a lot of these players coming into this Newcastle game. Keep, get, keep especially some of our key players, uh, keep them fresh, our fullbacks. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm confident, you know, there was no injuries in this last game. Uh, you know, we've, we keep winning and this is at home. We generally, I know this isn't the same Newcastle team that we've played the last decade, but... We generally do well against Newcastle at home. It's it's generally away from home where we've had some troubles in the past, but we have such a good record against Newcastle. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure the players are going to be confident. We're going to fancy ourselves here. I know Newcastle been playing pretty well, but but I kind of like, I you know, they they drew against Leeds. I know they played pretty well and they definitely could have won that game. They had a, a, a lot of chances, but Leeds carved them up as well. There was a bunch of times that Leeds got in behind and... I just see Martinelli and Saka doing the same thing. I see them getting in behind the form that they're in. You know, you, you can't you can't think that they're not going to get goals. So I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I think it could be like 1-0 Arsenal. Um, and it could be like that type of really nervy till the end. Like we're not going to have a clear victor. Um, and it might take like a late goal. Like it could be 0-0 going into the second half. Close game. And then at some point, if one of the teams scores, the, the game will open up. But... I still trust my boys here. Um, I think if this was away from home, I, I would predict this to drop points. But because it's at home, um, you know, I'll say 2-1 Arsenal. I think that they score on us, even though we've been... We don't keep clean sheets at home. 
we've been we've been blowing teams away at home, but we've been conceding as well. And conceding a couple goals in this last game, I think defensively we're not 100% there right now. Um, we're a little bit rusty, like I said, with Saliba. So I'm going to say 2-1 Arsenal, but Newcastle score and, and definitely make it nervy. I could even see 2-2. I could even see 2-2. Yeah, I think I'm going to say 1-1 because I, I think this might be one of, if not the best, like combination of midfield and forward lines that Arsenal have come up against this season. Like, I think against most teams, the way you're playing at the moment, I would pick you guys to sort of just dominate the midfield. But a player that I left out of our, like, best defensive midfield discussion last week on the pod is Bruno Guimaraes, who we've mentioned plenty of times has transformed that Newcastle midfield, along with, like, Joe Ellington and Willock. Those, those players are going to be a tough test. I mean, you again, I'm not saying you shouldn't be favored, but it will be tougher than what you guys have had to deal with uh, for the most part this season. So, yeah, I think Newcastle have enough to nick one goal there and, uh, you know, defend their asses off to get out of there with a point, which I think they would be very, very happy with. But yeah, that's going to be a really interesting one. Uh, I guess we have to get to Chelsea. God damn it. How about instead of results and games coming up, Javier, let's uh, let's just focus on transfer window. Transfer window. It's January. You know, we don't need to talk about games. Chelsea, we're, we've made two signings. It looks like we've got like a third right about to happen. Uh, so let's ignore the fact that we went to Nottingham Forest, played like shit and got a draw 1-1. And now we have two games in a row against Manchester City, one in the league on Thursday and one in the FA Cup on the weekend. We've got new players coming in. Uh, they announced, or I think they're about to announce by the time this pod comes out, uh, Benoit Badiashile from uh, Monaco. He's 22-year-old he center back. for you guys. Yeah, that, I'd be excited for that one. Not not necessarily for this season, but for the future. I think if he gets like a good full preseason in the team, gets a good run of games, you, you might see him uh, being, a, being a regular fixture in next year with like Fofana in the team. Uh, yeah, another player like that that I think was signed uh, basically off the back of Armando Broya's ACL injury. Uh, in a warm-up game uh, with Aston Villa that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season is uh, David Dactro Fafana. He's a 20-year-old striker from Molda in uh, Norway. Uh, very pacey, young Ivorian player. Scored bags of goals in Norway. Uh, that, that's not any sort of predictor of success in the Premier League. I, I'm still not sure. I haven't seen many links to whether Chelsea are going to be going after any other like forward players like that. But, you know, he has uh, like a boost of pace and direct play that, you know, Chelsea are just missing at the moment. So maybe he comes in and impresses in like some cup games or something. It's a very and uh, un chelsea like signing, I will say. But it's a type of signing yeah. that I think Chelsea's looked at teams like Arsenal. And if you look well, at no, Brighton, because <laughs> we literally swiped him from Brighton under Brighton's noses. Sure, he was a player sure. that Potter yeah, was I'm like sure Brighton, monitoring Yeah, I'm sure you got Brighton. some sort of scouts. They, from, were planning to, they were planning to sign him in January, too. But. You know, once we got Potter and he brought over all of his recruitment staff, they were just like, oh, OK, let's go get him for Chelsea instead. But but what I, what I was going to say is, I mean, we signed Martinelli from Brazil for, you know, five mil, I think, or four point five mil. Um, you know, most of the signings, at least in our front line, uh, haven't cost that much money. I mean, I know Jesus was 50 million or whatever, but Nketiah came from our academy. Saka came from our academy. I know that Chelsea, there has to be like some sustainability in the future. I know right now there's a lot of investment going into the team. You guys are trying to build the team, but it's good to be able to make signings like this, you know, not as expensive for the future. 
um, that could still be a big impact on the team in a couple of years from time. So I like that signing. I think you guys also made another similar one with that Andre Santos from, uh, I think it's Vasco da Gama in Brazil. That That's not official yet, but uh, yeah, he's a midfield player. That I think, I, I don't think, I think would... there was a here we go from Romano, I think. So it's not like Chelsea official, but it's pretty much official. Yeah, that's kind of the same for Badia Shile. Um, it's But Badia Shile is supposed to, he's supposed to be doing his medical either today or tomorrow, and then it's going to be announced officially by Chelsea. Um, Andre Santos, I, I'm not sure if there's going to be some kind of like pre-agreement for him, like so he doesn't come here in January, but instead comes in the summer or next January. Uh, but that's not one that's going to affect the team right away. One that seems like it's like a step away from being done that would actually have real tangible like impact on the first team is a player that I've been gushing over for like two months now since our World Cup previews. Enzo Fernandez, the Argentine midfielder who frankly came into that team. And All right, we're not going to we're not going to talk about Enzo Fernandez before you. Yes, we are. I'm not. No, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. We're not talking about him and his impact on Chelsea. You've not been looking at the links that I did. Javier, let's play a game with me. If we signed Enzo Fernandez, (laughs) would that be what would that do to Chelsea's midfield? You tell me. I mean, that would be really, really good. But I'm not going to. I'm not. No, they want overall. They want 120 million. You're not paying that. I'm not going to believe it. There's no way that's not one I'm going to ever believe or say that you guys are getting him until he's on your doorstep. Like, there's, why would you not believe this that? This is just rumors. We, right? It's now. not like we ha- it's not like we haven't spent money. Because like, I don't money Benfica, on Benfica are in a Champions League run. They're playing super well. I don't I don't believe Enzo Fernandez wants to leave the club in the middle of the season when he's been their best player so far this season. They just lost their first game of the season and Enzo Fernandez is on the bench. There's no way that they're going to let him go and fucking take a massive dip in their team, tank their Champions League run and the season run and let you guys have him for 120 million. I just don't believe it. Uh, I mean, I they're not Chelsea winning the Champions pay. League either way. No, but they've been one of the best teams in the Champions League. They've been super fun to watch. Enzo being part of that. There's just I just I don't want to enter, even entertain it, Alex. We're not entertaining Enzo Fernandez right now. It'd be an amazing signing. Unbelievable. It'd be like getting Declan Rice in your midfield, but we're not going there right now. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll save that wait. one for next week. Yeah, then. let's save that one. We'll save that one See, for next week. Yeah, when it's I, need, more... I need more concrete news than like you guys were being rumored with him because there's been no official sources or, or tier ones that are saying you guys are actually in for him or have placed even any sort of bid whatsoever. So like... Oh, no, no, there's been plenty of... Supposedly the, the rumor is now that we've put in the, the bid for, you know, his release clause, 120 million or whatever it is. And now it's up to Benfica's board and their board is split over whether they should let him go in January or not. So it could go either way, but I, I'm hopeful because we really do need like that. I do and a agree. Right back. You guys need a lot of uh, a lot of help. And it, uh, just quickly about this game, because I think Nottingham Forest deserved to win in the end. I think Chelsea started off really well in the first half. Looked we were good. lucky to get out with a draw. Absolutely. Um, but then I don't really know what happened. I don't understand how in the you know, the, the end of this, the first half and then pretty much most of the second half, Nottingham Forest looked like they were going to be the team that was going to go on to win. Um, Kepa had to make some really, really good saves. The whole first half, they created one chance, like a ball in behind for Brennan Yon- Johnson. No, I, but, yeah, I meant more the second and half. We had, we had like 80% possession. And then the yeah. second half, they pressed us high. They forced mistakes. They attacked players like uh, Koulibaly and Aspilicueta on the right side of our, our defense. 
And we, we, we lost the midfield battle. Like, Zakaria and Jorginho you still believe didn't in, have uh, the legs to keep up with it. You still believe in Koulibaly, Alex? He's had some on-and-off performances so far for Chelsea this season. I'm not ready to, I, like, I've, I've give been hearing up Chelsea say, fans him. being like, he's not good enough. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's not been great so far. He's, he's looked like he's had to adjust. Um, he's not been great so far. I'm not saying Chelsea should be looking to, to be sell a him anytime ready to soon, go. but we, we should be once Fafana is back from his injury, Wesley Fafana, the center back we signed from Leicester, if you remember that one, uh, we should be giving him a chance. Obviously, Badia Shile uh, should be given a chance. Uh, and again, or Chalaba, Trevor Chalaba. We, we, we need to start mixing it up a little bit, get ourselves a little bit more pace in that back line. Obviously, Thiago Silva, the only time you should rest him is for you know, when he's been playing too much, which you could say is right now, but we're clearly not going to rest him for a Manchester City league game like we have on Thursday. So, um, yeah, it's God, I hope you guys do something so in that game. I'm massively rooting for I know Chelsea, you do. obviously. I, I'm not expecting it, but you I'm never know if City either, are as wasteful. You never know. City have been, uh, you know, kind of jackal and highs with their form and they haven't been the best so far this season, and Chelsea are desperate, man. You guys need a result. You're at home in front of your fans again. Or not, you, you were just at Forest, weren't you? No, okay, but you're going to be in front of your fans. I'm sure they're going to want a result. You guys got a win last time you were at home, you know? Against Bournemouth, yes. So, and not we saying you guys are going to get anything, to get but, that uh, lead. but I'd love a uh, I'd love a 2-2 with City, an entertaining game. Or well, I a nil-nil, nil, I think we're going to lose 3-1. We're going to okay. lose 3-1. Um, I think you're going to lose two. I'll say two one. Two one. I think you guys make it nervy and keep it close. I think you guys, uh, you guys generally rise to the occasion for these big games. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, a lot of your players, uh, it, it seems like for the games like Brighton and Brentford, your players can't get up as much. But your players will be more like at it for the city game. I think. All right, man. Uh, I'm glad that, that, you that's think more so, hopeful. Yeah, that's more hopeful than so. uh, Alex is just cracking up that I'm saying that he doesn't actually believe that at all. All right. Well, I was the one. I'm hopefully praising your boys, Alex. All right, man. Let's wrap it up there. Uh, I mean, one team we haven't talked about yet is Manchester United, but uh, they have some sort of they have some sort of like easy games so far to start. Marcus Rashford has like maintained his form from the World Cup and is playing really well. I think their next game, they have Bournemouth at home. So they're doing just fine. They're yeah, into the I mean, top four now. They look like they're going to make top they've, four. They're, they've jumped they're, over Tottenham. They're good. They're doing well right now. But it's a long season, so let's see if they can keep this up. They can stay injury-free. I think getting rid of Ronaldo, I mean, that was just massive for them. You can tell that right, there's that a focus like, at the club again. The, the, the air has been lifted. The toxic atmosphere is, God, is gone. So... Yeah, it's that seems like the biggest addition things, by subtraction yeah, move of all time. They're just better without him, without him I was right. anywhere Sorry. close. Sorry. Yeah, you were right. Congratulations. All right, let's wrap it up there. Javier, thanks for uh, jumping on this one. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for something oh, a little oh, bit later this shout, week. Shout out to Fulham, by the way, because they keep fucking winning, keep playing well, and they're definitely the surprise package of the season. I, I, they've been playing great. I love the way they've been playing. Jao Polinia, another goal. You called his goals. He got another goal again in this game. In Late the winner. Win against yeah. Southampton. So, yeah, big shout out to Fulham. All right. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMOS92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can uh, leave us a rating or review. Those help new listeners to find the pod. And we always appreciate it when you guys can help us grow this thing. 
Enjoy the midweek games coming up this week. And until next time, see ya.